1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verse 13. It'll probably be a familiar verse that you've heard before. 10.13, it says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you that as we come into this place this morning, God, that we have the opportunity to celebrate your glory. God, I pray that as a church and as a people that we will never diminish you to nothing more than an idea, but God, that we will celebrate you as the creator of the universe. God, and that our prayer would be your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, that we would not be a people of pride, but a people of humility, humbly bowing down before you, God. And we come this morning with so much. God, I know there are people here, there are people that will be listening to this later on the podcast, Lord. People in our church that are maybe traveling, God, that are just carrying heavy burdens. Lord, navigating difficult temptations and trials, Father God, I pray. I pray that in all the humility that we have, God, that we can acknowledge that above all things we need you. God, we need your forgiveness. We need your redemption. reconciliation that you do when we repent of the faults that we have and turn towards you, Father God. We need those things right now in our lives, Father. So I just pray your blessing over this service. I pray pray your blessing over your word, God, that it would be yours and not my own. And God, that we would just be attentive and ready to receive the truths that you have for us in all conviction, in all challenge, in all courage, Father God, that we could find in your word. I pray we find it today, God. We love you and thank you in Jesus' holy name. So church, we continue in this summer series that we plan to stretch out as much as we can into August. But, you know, the whole idea of this study has been, like the screen says, understanding misunderstood scripture. And, you know, for a lot of us, when we read or hear, there's scripture that we either know the passage and it's taken out of context, or there's certain types of passages that you've heard the passage, but when it's when it's kind of regurgitated or when it's said, it's more or less paraphrased. And this is one of those verses that a lot of times when it's communicated, it's paraphrased. And probably the way you've heard it paraphrased is like this. God never gives you more than you can handle. Right? That's typically the way this verse is paraphrased. And unfortunately, just the way, the same way in which we've navigated some of the other scriptures, whether it's been the actual verse or a paraphrase of the verse, is that through the paraphrase, we miss the depth and we miss the reality of what the verse is truly trying to tell us. Because in reality, when we say something like God never gives you more than you can handle, it begins to diminish what God actually does in our lives. Because the thing is, God absolutely gives us more than we can handle, right? Because if God didn't allow us to experience more than we could handle, God is diminished to nothing more than a buffer, right? Or a butler or a bouncer on our behalf that kind of keeps all the bad stuff away from us so that we only experience the easy things. But 
That's why, so when we, when maybe we've heard this verse, when we talk about, and we'll kind of get into it a little bit more in depth, but when we think about this verse, a lot of times my first thought when I read it, and I know sometimes maybe your first thought too is, well, God never gives us more than we can handle. That's not what this verse is saying, and it actually is against what this verse is actually telling us. And so what is this verse actually telling us? Well, you know, we always like to start out with a little bit of context um, to, to kind of see what it is that's happening. So if you've ever read or, or, or anything in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, you know, this is a very unique type of gathering of God's people in Corinth. Um, it's a very busy place. It's, it's, it's under Roman rule. And the hardest problem that the people of Corinth are having is that they're divided. They're divided amongst the people of God, which we see a lot of First and Second Corinthians speak about this. But they're also, so they're not only divided uh, amongst themselves, but they're also living out this divided allegiance in their spiritual world. Because they're holding on to, they're wanting to kind of grab hold of the customs and the culture around them. And so they're having kind of a divided allegiance to that. And so especially in First Corinthians, there's really this like kind of pressing into about what it means to live the Christian spiritual walk. I mean, he talks about food being offered, offered to idols, uh, living as you're called. You know, he talks about all these rights and different things. This in First, uh, first Corinthians 10, the, the subtitle for it is warning against idolatry. So he's kind of speaking to Christians and he's saying, listen, you can't allow yourself to be grabbing a hold of the cultural mandates around you because what it's going to do is it's going to shift your focus away from the mandates and the call that God has has for you and you're going to be kind of divided, you know, kind of that whole like you can't serve two masters thing. And, and so what the Christians here are doing is they're trying to live a part of the culture while also trying to kind of live a spiritual life. But those things, they, they just never really intersect properly for the people of God to really live out what they're called to. And so what Paul begins to do here when he's writing this letter is he's laying out for them an understanding of their status that brings together really a major theme of 1 Corinthians and that it is order and obedience. He's trying to implement some order in the church and trying to call them to obedience. This is where we get a lot of talk about spiritual gifts and tongues and all those things, how you use it, how you don't, all this. And so he's trying to bring order and obedience. And so in this section in particular, this verse really is a two-part verse. It's really got two kind of weights to it when we read it when we read the verse and I'll read it again just so that we hear it no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it so this verse is two parts the first thing is open rebuke and we'll kind of get into that as we move on but the second thing is equipping encouragement and so the thing about it is, is well, that we have to understand is what Paul is trying to get at here and the main thing that I kind of want us to see from this and the first thing that I kind of really want to hit on is that temptation should not make us a victim. And that's kind of the open rebuke end of it. Because we read where he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not coming to man. God is faithful and he will uh, not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And so that's where we get the whole God won't give you more than you can handle thing. But the thing about this, what this really is saying when he's telling us, and then we get down to the end of this. He says, with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He's telling us that temptation... And remember, temptation and trials are a different thing. We're not talking about trials. We're not talking about like uh, difficult situations. We're specifically talking about temptation that leads to sinful decisions. And so we're talking about sin specifically in our lives. And so 
What he's telling us here is that temptation should not make us a victim, meaning that temptation should never become a prison that we feel like we can't escape. Because a lot of times that's where we kind of get to as Christians when we have issues in our life, whether it's sin, whether it's addiction, whether it's things that we're giving ourselves over to or the way we think or talk or speak or treat other people. It's this idea that, well, this is just who I am. This is just what I do. This temptation that I had that, that I have that leads me to actively participate in this particular type of sin. This is just the kind of person I am. This is what's in me. But what Paul is telling us and the kind of the point for this first section is that temptation should not make us a victim. We are not a victim of our temptation. Is our temptation uh, present? Absolutely. For all of us. You know, and that's what I love how he starts out here in verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So what is he saying here? He's saying that when he says common to man, he's saying that there is no temptation has overtaken you that is what? That is that which is human. So any temptation that you or I experience, and you know, and, and let's try to get as practical about this as we can be because every single one of us has some level of temptation. I mean, by vast majority, most men have the same type of temptations. Not saying that they all do, but most men have the same type of temptations. Most women have the same type of temptations. But there's a, a vast majority of the, really all of us, if we are of the flesh and are not the Son of God dwelling on earth, we have some type of temptation that is welling up within us. And most of the core of that's pride or self-preservation. We driven to our own comforts. We're driven to our own desires. We want what we want when we want it. And that's typically what drives us and what tempts us towards sin, whether it's sexual sin or, or indulgent type sin, drugs, alcohol, that type of thing, or, or the way we treat people, gossip or, or lying or, or treating people harshly, whatever that might be. There is a type of sin or lying that, that dwells up within us from our temptation. And so Paul starts off very clearly here and he says, listen, whatever you're dealing with, first and foremost, it's not isolated to you. And for one, that is an encouragement. We love the idea of that, but it's also an open rebuke. Because what we love to do as people is we love to feel like we're the only ones dealing with certain things, right? Like that makes us, in a sense, kind of feel special. We're like, well, this issue is unique to me. This sin I'm dealing with is unique to me and no one, no one can understand it. Like no one can help me with it. Like no one can, I can't tell anybody because they're not going to be, they're not going to understand it. And listen, yeah, not all people deal with the exact same type of sin. But what Paul is saying here is he says, listen, there is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to the human race. We are all navigating that same space. And we say this all the time, but the moment Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, he added all of us as sinners. And so he says, he's plainly saying the situation you're in is not unique to you in the, or your circumstance. People have lived it, people have lost to it, but people have also survived it. And so this is the thing we have to understand about our temptations and the decisions that we make to participate in sin from that temptation is for one, there are people that are currently living through it just like you and there are people who have lost from it, but more than likely and where Christ wants us to find the encouragement, there are people who have survived it and who have chosen, chosen, made choices to take steps away from it. And the thing that I love about this verse, and most of the translations use the same word, but he says, there is no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And listen, we experience different levels of temptation, but I love how he goes to the most severe level of temptation, right? 
a temptation that has overtaken you. Like I think about that almost in like a military sense of like a, a nation overtaking another nation. Like this isn't just them knocking on the door, throwing some rocks. This is like we're living in your space, right? Like we're, we're taking over. Like we're, you're, we're, our flag is hanging. Like this is the most extreme sense of temptation where he says there is no extreme sense of temptation that the rest of humanity has not experienced like you are. And so what God is saying, he's like, I don't care if it's the smallest amount of temptation or the greatest amount of daily temptation you've ever experienced in your life. It is not unique to you. And first off, that's a rebuke. But secondly, it's an encouragement. Because someone else has lived it. And someone else has survived it, so we can too. So for us as people, if we have temptations, those temptations should not make us a victim. Listen, God never promised that we won't face trials, but what He has promised is that we do not have to live as victims to our temptations. Every single one of us are navigating temptations. But the problem is, especially in the cultural climate that we live in, is that there is people find a sense of power within themselves or identity in being a victim. You understand what I'm saying? But, but what we need to understand is that there's no power, there's no power in being a victim. To be a victim really gives us an excuse. And listen, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about physical, I'm talking about victims of our circumstance, our sin. That's where I'm at. I'm talking about temptation. But the reality is we all want to, people want to live as victims. We want to live as victims of our circumstances. We want to live as victims of our issues. We want to live as victims of our temptations. In a lot of ways, it gives us an excuse for anger. It gives us an excuse for disconnection. It gives us an excuse for fear. Because we think to ourselves as a victim, we think we're the only ones navigate it. We think there's no way I'll overcome this, so this thing identifies at me. This is my identity, whatever temptation it is that I have, so I'm going to live it. I'm going to love it, and I don't care who knows it. And so it creates all these excuses and issues within us. And, and the position that we typically find ourselves in as people as pretending to be powerless is a position because it, it, it feels controllable. And so a lot of times, especially like we think of ourselves and think about, I know I've lived this in my life, living as a victim of my temptation. And as a victim, a powerless victim of our temptation, we give ourselves over, we give ourselves over, we give ourselves over because it feels like the easy road. And so what we want to do, and a lot of times when we, when we think about our sin, we think about our temptation, we think about the things that we're dealing with, we want to make excuses for it and we want to say things like, this is my cross to bear, right? We're saying that about our sin, you know, um, whether it's some type of addiction or just the way we think or act or talk. We say, this is, this is just who I am. This is my cross to bear. Or we say things like this. We say, and this could be another sermon for another day. We say, this is the thorn in my flesh. What we're doing is there's the reference Paul, something Paul says at another point where he talks about the thorn in his flesh that he asked God to take from him and God didn't and God uses it to draw Paul to himself. But the thing about it is, is that the thing we have to understand is whenever Paul says that he has a thorn in his flesh, for one thing, Paul's thorn was not sin. Paul's thorn was not sin. And so we can't say that our sin is the thorn in our flesh. We can't say that our sin is our cross to bear. That's not what Paul was saying. And, and shame on us if we ever use God's word as an excuse for our sin. When Paul is talking about the thorn in his flesh... It's more than likely he's talking about a physical ailment or a circumstantial issue that he has no control over. 
He's not talking about sin. He's talking about a lot of people speculate it's a physical issue that, that he just can't get over. That it's hindering his, his, it's making things uncomfortable for him. It's even like been referenced in some instances as a physical pain that Paul experienced that he asked God to take from him. But God chose not to. And what did Paul say? He says, God's using this just to make me depend on him more. But it was not sin. It was not him giving himself over to a temptation. Now, Paul talks about sin and temptation that he, he struggled through, but he never used it as an excuse to continue to live in it. And this is the thing that we have to understand about this. We have to stop calling our habitual sin our thorn. Because it's not. It's not our thorn. Our temptation that leads us to this sin is not our thorn. It's not our pet that we can keep around and feed occasionally. We've talked about that a little bit before. And what Paul is telling us is that temptation should not make us a victim. And why? And he says this in the rest of verse 13. He says, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And so what is Paul telling us? Paul is telling the people this lifestyle is not your only option. It's not your only option. And this isn't saying that God's not going to allow us to experience things that, that are too difficult for us. But what he is telling us is that we have options, that it's not beyond our ability to decide. And so listen, temptation itself is not a sin. And so when we're talking about temptation, to have the thoughts, to have the things that we're dealing with as sinful, broken people as we are, we have things that enter our mind. And the Bible tells us to capture our thoughts and try to, try to navigate that. And there's things that we can do to kind of affect the way that we think and we act, but our thoughts, our temptations, the things that draw us, that is not sin, but it's the moment we act on those things that it becomes sin in our lives. And so what Paul is telling us is that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond, the, beyond your ability, meaning that God's not going to let you be at a point where you don't have a choice to step away from a tempting situation. That we have, we, we can't ever, and that's where the whole like my sin is my thorn thing, is that we're saying that I don't have a choice. That this sin that I'm participating in, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's substance abuse, whatever it is, that we tell ourselves I don't have a choice. That this is just my thorn. Paul is saying here, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to decide, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. I'm not going to participate in this. God is not taking, and that's step one is us stop making excuses. We're never going to get over the sin and the temptation that we're navigating until we can stop making excuses for it. And this is not to shame us in that. I have no attempt on, uh, I'm making no attempt to shame anybody because I'm speaking to myself in this. I can never properly deal with and have never been able to properly deal with the own, my own sin until I first acknowledge that it's sin and that I can make a choice to not do those things. That I can start to take steps. That, that just because it's what I think, just because it's what I want, doesn't mean I have to give myself over to it. Because what we have to understand, when God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability... Church, the enemy could destroy us and control us in an instant. The enemy could. He has that amount of power. But the reason he doesn't is why? Because God doesn't allow him. So God doesn't allow the enemy to destroy us. God doesn't allow the enemy to control us beyond our, our, our ability. But what God does is he allows us. 
He allows us the space. That's where that kind of the sovereignty of God and the willingness of man kind of overlaps. Where God allows us that space to make those choosing Him. Choosing to not give in to that temptation. I mean, Luke 22, 31 Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But God says he intervened. Jesus said, but we, God intervened. And so, even though God intervenes to keep the enemy, because the enemy knows our, I mean, the enemy could demolish me in a moment. He could do the same to you, because he knows your sin, he knows your weaknesses, he knows the things that make you tick. But where God does intervene is just enough to allow us the ability. He says he has not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He has allowed us the ability to decide. Am I going to participate in this sin? Am I going to put myself in this situation where I, I am likely to give myself over? Listen, because the enemy never takes anything from us. If the enemy has anything of us, our time, our attention, or our sin, it's not because he took it. It's because what? It's because we gave it. It's ours. It's ours. And especially as a Christian this morning, God has given us that power and ability. So if the enemy has taken anything from us, it's because we've given it. Our innocence, our attention, our relationship, our kids, whatever it is that the sin in our life kind of affects, the enemy hasn't taken it from us. We've given it. And so where God has given us the ability, He's given us the ability to hold on. He's given us the ability to make that decision and choose those things. God might permit temptation by allowing circumstances which create temptation to come, but He always allows an escape. And so the choice we carry is will we take the escape, which gets us to the last thing this morning. We'll be done. That not only is temptation should not make us a victim, but then Paul begins to kind of lay out how we go from victimized to victorious. How do we go from victimized people of our temptation to victorious lives of Christians? And what does he say in verse 13b? He says, But with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I love that, that Paul is speaking directly into the temptation. He's saying that, that you are there. You're, that, that, and that's where most of us are right now in this moment this morning. We are in the midst of temptation. Maybe we're not thinking about it right now, but we'll go home later today. We'll get in our drive. We'll listen to our music. We'll have dinner, whatever we'll do later on today. And the temptation will most definitely come at some point or another. And so Paul is speaking directly into the temptation. And he says, but with temptation. So he's not saying that you're never going to enter temptation. He's not giving us the solution to never be tempted. But he says, but with temptation, he will also provide the way. Paul is saying with temptation in the midst of it, God is working. God is present. He's not keeping you from it, but he's teaching us how to deal with it. God is teaching us how to deal with our temptation. He is giving us an escape. That escape may not be easy, but in most cases it isn't. God, to, to step out through the temptation is never going to be easy. That's what we pray for because it's the most comfortable and it's the most convenient. But, you know, and I, and I was thinking about it this week. Every single story in the Bible, right? Bear with me. Every single story in the Bible that speaks of the people of God moving from a place of slavery to a place of freedom or a place of, of oppression, or a place of difficulty, to a place of, of, of success and freedom. 
it's always kind of at the, the, the point of crazy faith, right? I mean, you think about, like, I think about the people of God, and I think a lot of times when we think back to Exodus, like, we think about that story, and we think, like, how in the world could those people want to go back to Egypt? Like, they just left, but through everything they've been through, and Moses leads them to the foot of the Red Sea, and they're standing there, they're standing there, and Moses is saying, God is going to lead us away from the slavery into freedom, away from the bondage into freedom. And they stand there and they still, they still think to themselves, man, maybe Egypt's the better option. And we think to ourselves, how could anyone ever do that? How could anyone ever be at those points in our lives? But we do it every single day. That we stand at these points with our temptation and our sin. We stand at these points that one decision, one decision, because in reality, sin, sin is a product of what? Sin is a product of many decisions. Temptation starts here, but temptation doesn't go from here to sin. Temptation starts here and it's exacerbated by a decision, right? And then it's exacerbated by or moved on by another decision, by another decision. By another decision that leads us here. Sin is the product. Sin is not the cause of, or the, the, the action is not the cause. The, the, the action is a product of sin and temptation that starts here, of compounding sin and then the development of temptation. Every single one of us, we have these moments in dealing with our temptation where we're standing, we're standing at the point of freedom. And it takes faith. You know, I think about those people, they're standing at the water. As the, the, and in the, the Bible communicates it as if the walls of that water, as they were parted, were higher than they were. I mean, can you imagine the noise? Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine the, the faith? But that's what God invites us into, and that's what God is saying. Listen, every sin and temptation that we have in our life, the escape is always, it's, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy and it's going to take an, a, a, a step of faith to begin to move away from the sin, the things that are kind of dragging us through the mud or kind of distracting us spiritually. The escape isn't always, and sometimes the escape isn't always just the way out, but it may be a way to endure it and to remain faithful to God in the midst of it. You know, and that brings me back to Daniel chapter 3, 17. It says, uh, you know, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're, they're being threatened to be thrown into the furnace, uh, it, unless they would worship false idols, which every temptation in our life, ultimately it's trying to get us to worship a false idol, whether it's a false idol of comfort or a, a false idol of pleasure, or a false idol of happiness, whatever it might be. Every temptation we have at its basis is trying to lead us to idol worship. And so a lot of ways we can find a common ground in this verse where... You know, the king is telling them, you must worship these idols or you're going to be punished for it. And so what do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? They say, if this, is, if this be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. He's able to deliver us from the, the punishment that may be to come. And he said, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But then he continues on. He says, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So he says, listen, 
even if, even if God doesn't change the circumstance around us, I am not going to give into this temptation that is happening right now for me to give into idol worship because even if my circumstance doesn't get better, God will be with me in the midst of it. God will give you what you need to endure. And so what happens? The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they still go into the furnace, but who is among them? God is among them. They didn't give into their temptation to give into idol worship and to worship lesser things. But what did they do? They stayed faithful to God. And what did God do? God didn't save them from the circumstance, but what did He do? He endured them through it. He gave them what they needed, the protection they needed to endure through it. Church, even in the circumstance, the choice we have is to pursue the truth and to worship God or to give ourselves over to lesser things for comfort, for safety, or for status. And that is that point at which temptation works. Because that's, that's how the people of God would even be able to consider going back to Egypt. Listen, I know that's slavery, but it's comfortable, right? That's how people live in addiction. I know it's slavery, but it's what I've known. It's where I'm comfortable. It's what I feel like I know. It's what's identified me. It's what, it's what, it's what has driven me. It's what's given me some sense of happiness or peace. We do the same thing in our lives with our own temptations. We, we have an opportunity to make decisions to step away from it, but what keeps us coming back to it is a sense of comfort. It's what I've known. It's what I want. And so, for us, and the question for us, and then we'll be finished up this morning, is this. Is how do we move from being victims to victors in our lives that are filled with temptations, that are drawing us towards pride, selfishness, sexuality, lusts, other forms of comfort or pleasure or whatever it might be. How do we disconnect ourselves from those things and how do we lessen or kind of soften the voice of temptation in our lives? There is a way because God has given us the ability to make those decisions. So how do we make those decisions easier? How do we make that to where we have more ability, more strength to step into that direction. And it's three quick things and then we'll be done. I hope some practical things that we can apply. The first thing is this, to be mindful of our self-inflicted wounds. To be mindful of our self-inflicted wounds because many of our temptations are a product of our own doing. There are situations or circumstances. The sin itself wasn't always the result or the sin itself, I'm sorry, is always a result of a series of choices that escalates our temptation's strength, right? If we find ourselves in a situation where we're preparing to sin, it's because we've allowed ourselves to be in that situation. And that's where we have to be careful. That's where we have to be taking steps of preparation. We have to be mindful of our weaknesses. We have to be mindful of the spaces where I'm most likely to give myself in to this certain temptation or this certain sin. It's if I know, if I know, if I'm in this space at this time, if I'm here by myself, then I'm going to do this. If I allow my mind to get to this place, then I'm more likely to do this. You know, that's why it's important. That's why it's important to have these spaces, to have this type of communication, to have this, you know, specifically in a relationship. That's the beauty of what God has given us, especially men, what God has given us in our relationships with our wives, to have open communication, to be mindful of our weaknesses, to be mindful of the places and spaces in which we could be tempted, where we could fall short, where we could be driven. Maybe it's a sexual sin. There are things that we can choose to decide that eliminate those opportunities, make those opportunities less and less. 
And Proverbs talks about this. Proverbs 4, 14 through 15. It says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. And what does he say? Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. We have the ability. Temptation has not gotten to a point where it robs us of the ability to make choices to change our circumstance. Matthew 6.13 in a prayer that Jesus would be teaching his people and lead us not into this temptation. But deliver us. But deliver us from this evil. Mark 14.38 Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. It's decisions, making those decisions. 2 Peter 3, 17-18 says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory in both now and to the day of eternity. Church, we have, have the ability, we have, as Christians... This is unique to Christians. We have the ability and the strength because of the Spirit of God to make decisions, to put ourselves in better situations, to not set ourselves up for failure. Because that's the thing. That's the whole thing of this point is to be mindful of our self-inflicted wounds. A lot of times the reason we're in the situations we're in is because of the decisions we made here. That if we would be honest with ourselves, acknowledging our sin and begin to make better decisions, we will decrease the opportunities we have to fall into those sins through our temptations. The second thing is this, to be prayerful and intentional about our pursuit of Christ. Because, you know, it's one thing to say, don't go this direction. And this is for us as Christians. Maybe it's not necessarily specifically for us, but maybe we're speaking this into somebody else's life. We want them to do this, this, and this. A lot of times we usually start with, you shouldn't do this, this, or this. But if we're going to point them away from something, we need to be pointing them to something. And so for us as Christians, we want to be pointing ourselves and pointing others to something bigger. It's not just a flee from where you shouldn't be, but it's a following where you should be. We should never call someone away from a path without leading them down another. And God doesn't do that with us. 1 Corinthians 1 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. He's pointed us to a fellowship. He's pointed us to a place to go. Deuteronomy 7, 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. He says He keeps covenant. He's made promises, steadfast promises to His people. And we can only find that in God can only find that through walking down that path, pursuing God, being prayerful and intentional in pursuit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you is faithful and He will surely do it. And then the last thing being this is that Hebrews 4.15-16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. And I love this verse so much. But one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And our time of need is when the temptation level gets to here. And so where should we go? Listen, if I need something fixed or done in my house, I'm not going to go to somebody who's never done it. I'm going to go to someone who's done it, who knows it, who knows how to navigate that space. And so if we have temptation that is welling up within us, we have temptation that is overtaking us, where should we go? We should go to the source of the only person in history who has ever been tempted as we are and overcame it. 
who defeated it, who wasn't even affected by it. And only the God of the universe could even do that. And so where should we go? Go to the God of the universe. Pursue God in our day-to-day -day life. Pray to God. See God. Read His Word. Pray. Just however we can shift our mind, this is the place, this is the only place where we can be intentional enough and prayerful enough to find what we need to overcome and navigate and endure the temptation that comes against us. No other place is going to give us that except God Himself. Church, He is meant to be our source. He's meant to be our refuge. And church, we should pursue Him first in our personal relationship to gain that ability. 1 Timothy 6, 11-12 But as for you, O man, God, a man of God, flee these things, but pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many. Church, how do we keep ourselves from evil and temptation? Flee one and pursue the other. James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have a choice. We have a choice to make and how we pursue and who we pursue and what we chase after. What we give ourselves over to in this day to day. And then the last thing is this, as the band can come up and get said, and we'll worship God in all His glory this morning. But the last thing is this, that we also find this strength in each other. The beautiful thing about the relationship God has called us to as believers is He's number one called us to bear each other's burdens, standing together. But also... You know, and I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. The beautiful thing about God is that God is the only way in life that our mess can be remade into something that can be used in someone else's life. The beautiful thing about the congregation of God is that there are people in here, there are people who have navigated parenting and come on the other side of it. There are people who have navigated sexual sin and come out on the other side of it. There are people who have navigated addictions and come out on the other side of it. And in the other end of the spectrum, there's people who are just entering into some of those things. And so what the people of God are able to be for each other is able to be one person who's experienced those things and lived through it in their spiritual walk with Christ can step into the life of someone who's navigating into it and be able to give them hope to know that you are practical visual example of listen what we are meant to be in this world is we are meant to be a representation of what God wants to do in the people of God and the people of this world we are an extension of the kingdom of God as earth, on earth as it is in heaven we are an extension of what God is doing and he has invited us to be a part of that that's why the marriage is an example of the gospel that 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 people of God can be an example of forgiveness and grace for each other like we have that opportunity because what we can be for someone, what we can be for someone, and I'm so thankful for those people in my life that have told me in my sin, in my issues, in my struggles, by, first off, that my situation was not unique, but secondly, that it is not unbeatable or unescapable. That there is a way to navigate through it. There's a way to ch choose something besides it. Church, going from slavery to salvation is always a scary transition. Comfort, church. Comfort applies heavy chains. Comfort applies heavy chains. And you know what? It's easier when we're not alone. We have each other. We have our own experiences. We have our own issues. 
So I want to say this, and then we'll pray these things and see God together. But I want to challenge us in this as we think about this and consider this in our life. As we think about the temptations that we have, listen, it's, it's easier in our lives to pretend like those temptations aren't that big of a deal. But in reality, they are. And the first step is acknowledging that that temptation will lead to sin that will destroy my witness. It will destroy my marriage. It will destroy my, my ability to lead my children. It will destroy your ability to be the people that God has called us to be if we don't begin acknowledging it for what it is and begin taking steps, taking steps away, active steps that God says we have the ability to make. But the first thing it takes is this. The first thing it takes is this, is it takes us facing it. Because church, if we never face the fear of stepping away from our comfortable captivity, we will never know what it looks like to experience true victory. The fact that we even have temptations in our life is a setup for God. A setup for God to show up. To reveal to us, first and foremost, that God can change things in our lives when we step into our ability to decide and lean on His strength to carry us through. But then also, it's an opportunity for people around us to see. Listen, maybe people know your temptations. Maybe people know your issues. You know, I mean, specifically in a marriage, more than likely your spouse is going to know your issues. What a testament of God if we begin to allow, making, doing our part by having the ability to make a decision and then allowing God's ability to help us endure through it to be a testament of who God is and what God can do. Not only to ourselves, but then to the people around us, to our children who need to know that God is carrying us through our issues. He needs to be the source we point people to. But that all starts, that all starts with us facing the fear of stepping away from our comforts. Can we pray that this morning? God, help me acknowledge where I'm comfortable in my temptation that eventually is leading me to sin. God, help me to face. Let's pray that together. Lord, help us face the fear of stepping away from our comfort so that we can truly begin to see how victorious it is to live in you and with you so that we would not just simply read a verse like this and say, we would not just simply say, God will never give me more than I can handle, but God will absolutely give me more than I can handle, but he will allow me the strength and the ability to make decisions to step away from those temptations, to enjoy the victory of what it means to endure through and to depend on him. That's what all of this is about. It's about the glory of God and how he uses sinful broken man and makes much of himself in the midst of it. Not makes much of me, but makes much of himself in the midst of it. So could we pray this morning and ask God to speak to us. Father God, Lord, we thank you in that where we are weak, Father, you are strong. God, I'm so thankful that where our weakness, where our flesh ends, God, your glory begins. God, in that even though we know that you're going to allow us to experience situations that are just too difficult for us, God, you will always provide us a way out. You will provide us with enough ability and strength we need to begin to step into the spaces and making the decisions that we need to make to remove the influence of these temptations in our lives. So Father God, help us first and foremost to face the fear of our comforts that are being fueled by our temptations that are leading us to sin. God, help us know we have a choice. 
to make better choices, to set ourselves up in better situations, to begin to eliminate the temptations that are leading us to sin. Father God, help us to know that we are not victims. We are not victims of our temptation. But God, that you've given us paths of victory in those spaces. God, and we find that through being prayerfully intentional towards you. God, let us draw closer to you. Let us see you for who you are. God, let us draw more nearer to you. God, let us come closer into where you are. Let us make you more of a part of our lives. Let's make you more of a part of our marriages. Let's make you more of a part of our work. Let's make, a, let's make you more a part of every space in which we live in so that we will have more of you and how we navigate the tempting spaces we live in. Because otherwise we're stepping out into a space unprepared and unequipped to deal with the temptations and sin that are before us. God, and lastly, let us pray that you would surround us with people who would support us and help us, give us strength, bear the burdens that we have with us to begin to take steps in the direction you've called us to away from the temptations of sin and death. Lord, we just pray you that, that you would do these things in us. Give us the courage and strength that, that we need here this morning to lean into where you are, God, and let us worship you in spirit and truth here as we finish. God, we just love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church, stand with us and let's worship God.